greet you in the name of the dear Lord Jesus. And I'm praying, I'm praying that God will use what I'm saying today to help you to be a better minister of the gospel, to appreciate the fact that we have a high and a very holy calling. We're, in, we're a privileged people. And I want to speak to you today about some of the things I've learned and come to appreciate more and more as I've grown older. I've been in ministry now for 50 odd years. I've loved it. And uh, I enjoy sharing God's word with God's people, but I love even more to see God's people implementing what God's word says. So I want to start off this morning by saying that I am a church man. And by that I mean, I believe that Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Savior and our Lord, can do his best work through a church that does his work, what Christ wants to do, his way. A church that loves Jesus enough to obey him in everything that he has commanded us to do. So Christ can do his best work through a church that does it his way. Secondly, I'm not only a church man, but I'm a Bible man. By that I believe, I mean, I believe that the only way to do Christ's work, Christ's way, is to do it the way the Bible, the Word of God tells us to do it. Not to add to it, not to take away from it, not to drift from it in anything that we said that he has said that we should do. And thirdly, I'm not only a church man and a Bible man, but I'm a Holy Spirit man. And by that I want to mean I mean that I believe that without the revelation and impartation and the participation of the Holy Spirit in what we're trying to do for God, we're just by and large wasting our time doing church the way so many churches are doing church. His way, God's way, with God's involvement, the Holy Spirit's involvement in our lives, guarantees and always results in fruitfulness and effectiveness. God has ordained us, appointed us. He's designed us to be fruitful. He tells us that in John chapter 15, that you might be, God has appointed us to bear fruit. So God, God's way, with God's involvement, is fruit-bearing, and it's productive, and it's effective. And God wants his church to be that way. And that's why I'm saying the only way we can really, Christ can do his best work through us is for us to be doing it his way with his spirit involved in it. So our high and high and holy calling is under tremendous attack today, like it possibly never been in the whole of human history. And uh, that's why I've called this message today, attacks on our high and holy calling, the dangers of drift. Now that word drift is found in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. That's we've, we've got to be careful not to drift away. And so I want to speak a little bit about that this morning. And so as I've grown older, um, as I've hopefully become more and more uh, effective, mature in Christ, uh, as I've grown up in Christ, the following scriptures have become more and more meaningful in my life. And I've had such, been under such attack today in trying to present this message to you. This is about the fifth time I'm attempting to do it. I record it. I've had to scrap it. I feel like the devil is wanting to stop me from sharing what I'm sharing. So please open your heart and let God minister into your heart. So as I've grown older, some of the scriptures, I'm just going to pick parts out for, for the right now. and We'll come back to some of them. But some of these scriptures have become more and more meaningful in my life 
life as I've watched certain things. I've watched people that, that really seem to start out well. I've seen them drift away from what we have heard, as Hebrews 4.12, uh, uh, Hebrews 2 verse 1 tells us, speaking of the Word of God, as we they've drifted away, but watched others that ignore or neglect the Word of God, as Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 tells us. I've seen others turn away, as Hebrews 3.12 tells us, and others harden their hearts uh, about certain truths and against people, as Hebrews 3.7 and 15 tells us. I've seen others as fall short of what God wants us to do. Hebrews 4.1 tells us, I've seen others draw back, as Hebrews chapter 10, verses 38 and 39 speaks of. I've seen people fall short through bitterness, as Hebrews 12.15 speaks of. And I've seen others, and this is tragic too, I've seen others twisting the scriptures to their own destruction, as 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16 tells us. And so the Bible warns us in these last days, that we are under a tremendous attack and it's going to be coming more and more subtle. So I want to read a few scriptures to you this morning. The first one is found in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through to 21, and then I'll pick up in chapter 2 after that. It says this in Hebrew, it says 2 Peter 1, verses 19 to 21. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. Now the word of the prophets is the word of God. And you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And then he says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy or of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. So he's saying these are prophets who, by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, wrote the word of God. It's recorded for us. They recorded what God wanted. And so he says, we must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is speaking to the Word of God, given by true men of God, the Holy Spirit working into and through these people, recording the Word of God, and then he goes on to say in Second Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 1, but there were, were also not only these true prophets that God's word uh, came through, but there were also false prophets among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord. So, He's warning us that we've got the word of God given by the true prophets and that Satan will use false prophets to come in and to distort the word of God and to uh, secretly introduce destructive heresies into the church through preaching, teaching. In 2, Peter chapter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes this to Timothy, young, young Timothy and it's for us today. It's about the Word of God. He says how, the 15th verse through to the 17th verse, he says this, How from infancy, Timothy, you have known the Holy Scriptures. I love that. The Scriptures are holy. And then he says, which are these Scriptures, these Holy Scriptures, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, All Scripture is God-breathed 
and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So scripture is what we need to be thoroughly equipped. I keep saying this. It's scripture that makes us thoroughly equipped. Not new ideas, not all sorts of things being introduced to, to try and attract attention of people. Scripture is all we need. We know that it has to be empowered by the Spirit of God, but it's Scripture. So once again, the Scriptures are God-breathed for all that we need to be thoroughly equipped as God-leaders. And then he goes on to say in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, But the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine, Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So again, Scripture, empowered by the Spirit of God, but the devil in the last days will send in people to distort the truth. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, For the word of God, these are the scriptures that are so meaningful to me, have become more and more meaningful as I've grown older and watched people drifting away and turning away and twisting scripture to their own destruction, etc. It says in Hebrews 4, 12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, or as the a message Bible says, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. And then it goes on to say, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So the Word of God, this is something about what the Word of God does. It's effectiveness, it's power, it's equipping, it's transforming, it's in enabling, it's making us fruitful doing it God's way. No wonder Satan wants to weaken it and to weaken us by and through our neglect, our ignorance, or our distortion of the Word of God. We neglect God's Word at our own peril. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 goes on to say this, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. So as I've grown older, these scriptures have become more and more meaningful to me. So the Bible warns us about what will happen and what the devil will try to do in the church in the end times. And I believe we're living in the end times. The coming of Christ is drawing nearer and nearer every minute of every day. So in the world, of course, the world, the Bible tells us in the world, things will get worse and worse and worse that there will, uh, there will be anarchy, there will be uh, lawlessness, the, the people will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, they'll hate their parents, they'll be greedy, and it gives us a whole list of stuff that I'll give you the scriptures in a little while that you might want to have a look at for yourself, but uh, there's going to be immorality and violence, and increased, the violence will increase, emboldened uh, mockers and scoffers, false ideologies, false, false religions, false philosophies, all these things are going to come against the church in the last days. So here's a few, six little things I want to ask quickly. Uh, 
or related to the what, what will happen in the church. First of all, in Luke chapter 18, verse 8, Jesus actually asked this question. He says, when he comes back, the Son of Man comes back, will he find faith? In other words, it's questionable because of all that's coming against us. Will the Son of Man, when he comes back at his second coming, find faith? In other words, faithful people living out what the, the, the word of faith is about, the Bible. And secondly, he says also in Matthew 24, verses uh, 4 to 12, 14, and especially in verse 12, which is the one I'm going to kind of quote, he says, the love of many will grow cold. So people will start out and be like the churches we read of in the, in the Revelation, those two, uh, seven churches, that, that we st we've lost our first love. The love of many will grow cold. And then he tells us also in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, and 30, verses 13 to 22 in chapter 3, verse 3 onward, that there will be the distortion of truth, which we read a little bit about this morning. And that there will also be something we read, we read, about, we read about this morning, be false doctrines introduced into the church. And you can read 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 to 10, and, verse, and 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 to 2, and 1 and 2, and you'll see that false doctrines being introduced into the church. I don't know whether we're aware of this or whether we're taking these things seriously. And then he even says in Matthew, Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7, if you read from verse 21 to 23, that people will even be claiming to, to work miracles in his name and even to prophesy, Lord, didn't we, didn't we work miracles and prophesy in your name? And he's going to say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. So we need it in these last days to become like the sons of Issachar, who were able, who understood the times and knew what Israel or God's people should do. We need to become like that, the sons of Israel, the sons of Issachar. See, Peter, in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 and 15, Paul even goes as far as to say that false prophets, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ, they're going to be transforming themselves into angels of light. He even says Satan himself will masquerade as an angel of light. Is it not surprising then if his servants masquerade as, as servants of righteousness? And in 2 Peter 1 verse 12 to 16, and this is a, the essence of something of what I'm trying to say to you this morning. He says, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of this body. I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. So, we're all, all feeling the pressures of political correctness regarding the blurring of sexes and their roles, regarding us as a church being seen as churches to be seen as being devices because we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father and to heaven. Uh, that we, 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 we know the pressure of uh, people trying to disprove the authority of the Word of God. They hate it. Above, that the Word of God is the supreme authority. Uh, we feel the pressure of what people want their preferences, their prejudices, their preconceived ideas, their, their demands. We feel the, the pressure of what the church should be allowed to do and shouldn't be allowed to do. All these things are coming against us all at the time. The so-called online uh, meetings, 
or the online church where you don't have to put yourself out and be with God's people and have fellowship. You can just switch on and off through the media. We're all feeling those pressures of the so-called freedom that comes from all the demands that, that are, uh, people are offering us alternatives so we don't have to commit ourselves to Christ. And then add to that the progressive, so-called progressive slash liberal theology that, and all the new ideas and the innovative, non-biblical and more often uh, anti-biblical patterns and principles that have been tried and experimented with in the body of Christ today. All of these are increasing and will not go away until Jesus comes back. And so what shall we do about these things? What are these reminders? Uh, Peter says, I want to remind you twice. He says that Paul tells us he wants to remind us. Well, here are some of the things just very briefly I want to share with you quickly. First of all, let's get back to the Word of God in our preaching and our lifestyle. The whole counsel of God, not parts of it, is Acts chapter 20, verses 20 to 31. Paul reads, said to us, I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. Let's get back to the whole counsel of God, preaching the Word of God and living it out in our everyday life. And secondly, let's get back to teaching the tr that, that true love for Christ, listen to me please, that true love for Christ expresses itself through obedience to his commands. Jesus actually says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will obey my commands. He who does not love me will not obey my commands. So love for Christ True love expresses itself for obedience, not singing songs, saying, I love you, Lord, and I lift my hands. It's obeying Christ. In 1 John 5, verse 3, he says, this is the love of, for, for God, this is love for God to obey his commands. And he said in two, 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, he says, the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is, is, is a liar. That's a and that's strong. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is in him. And so it goes on. In Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 47, Jesus actually said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? So let's get back to, to teaching that true love for Christ expresses itself in and through obedience to what is command. Let's get back thirdly to Christ-centered Christianity, where Christ is once again the central focus, not us, not people, not the church, nothing else. Christ the central focus, where we put Christ first in everything. Like Matthew 6.33 says, where we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things, instead of looking for these other things, Put Christ first and all these other things will be added unto us. Where uh, 1 John chapter 1, I want you to read that for yourself, 1, 1 to 10. Uh, also, if you'll have a look at um, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through to 3, where he says, Set your heart on the things above, where Christ is seated. In Colossians 3, 17, he says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So get back to Christ-centered Christianity, where Christ is first, the central focus. Let's get back to teaching the kingdom of God with Christ as King and Lord, not only as Savior, 
and us as his obedience subjects. Matthew 4.23, it says, Jesus went teaching and preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing others. Now, the, king, the, the good news is only good news when we preach Christ as king. If we don't make Christ king, then the Bible is not good news to us. In, uh, in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it says that of John the baptizer, he went around preaching the kingdom of God is at hand, therefore repent and believe the good news. And Acts chapter 1, when Jesus, after his resurrection, it says, over a period of 40 days, Jesus appeared to them and spoke about the kingdom of God. So let's get back to teaching the kingdom, that Christ is King, Lord, and not only Savior, but that, is, that he is the, that we, we, are only, we are genuinely his obedient subjects. And then let's get back to the place where we don't put ourselves first, but we understand we honestly, genuinely belong to Christ. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. We're to glorify God with our body. And elsewhere it says, and with our spirits, which are the Lord's. So 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Honor God with your body. And let's get back then also. And nearly finished now. Let's get back also to calling for submission, commitment, and a consecrated life. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, I implore you, therefore, brothers, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship or your reasonable service. Get back to presenting our bodies, giving ourselves lock, stock and barrel, totality to Christ. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 says, if any man will follow after me, he has to forsake himself, follow after me, give up, deny himself, etc. And then also, uh, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, he actually goes as far as to say this. This is Jesus, love incarnate, saying, If any man loves his father or mother more than me, it's not good enough for me. We've got to love Christ and understand total commitment, total submission, and a consecrated love. Let's get back also to remembering and truly believing in our hearts that one day we will have to give an account for every idle word we've uttered and for every act Every attitude, <coughs> excuse me, Matthew 12, 36 says every idle word, one day we will have to give an account for. Those things we thought we just thought we'll get away with. We've got to get back to understand we're going to give an account for that. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 tells us we'll all appear before the uh, judgment seat of Christ. And there we will receive our rewards according to what we've done. All the opportunities God's given to us. You can read more about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses 10 through to 21. And then let's get back to, to the understanding and the realization that all the opportunities God has given to us, that we're going to one day stand before God and, and what are we going to say? God, I just ignored them. Let's get back there to that. And then what about our motives? Uh, I just noted a few little scriptures here. I'm really at, it's getting close to the end. Yeah, it's a little longer than I wanted it. But our motives, Proverbs 16.2 says, All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed up by the Lord. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God judges thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Matthew 1.17 says, Some preach Christ even out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, 
God's going to look at our motives. Why are we doing what we're doing? And then 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5 says, At the point of time, He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each man will receive his praise from God. So let's get back also to some of the let us's in the scriptures, like in Hebrews 10 verses 19 to 25, there's a few of them. Let us, one, draw near to God with a sincere heart. Let's get back to drawing near to God with a sincere heart. And then he goes on to say, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. And then he says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good, good deeds. Spur each other on. And then he says, let us not give up meeting together. And then let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So let's get back to what Mary said to those people at the wedding feast of Canaan when they ran out of wine. Whatever he tells you to do, let's do it. Let's repent of leadership entitlement and become true-hearted, servant-hearted leaders. Remembering the words of Jesus found in, in Revelation 2. You hate the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And those Nicolaitans, that word Nicolaitan comes from Laetans. It, it's two words, Nikos, which is to conquer or to subdue, and laity, the and laos, the people, the laity. In other words, God hates people who dominate from above. So let's repent of leadership entitlement and become true servant-hearted leaders. Ours is a high and holy calling. Let's honour it. If one day we're going to hear, it's going to be worth it when we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. And may God bless you, Father, your sons, your daughters, all that hear this word, bless them, give them revelation, impartation, empowerment, that their lives may be transformed. And once again, we're really wanting our churches to be transformed, that we do Jesus' work, Jesus' way, based in the scriptures, by the power of your spirit, help us to be men and women who are men and women of God, church men and women, and men and women of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. 